and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics driving Texas. I'm your co-host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And with me is my co-host, Derek Cohen, who's our Vice President of Policy. How's it going, Derek? I can't complain. It's a little uh, little chilly out there. Yeah, a little cold. Everybody's dealing with the weather. Uh, hopefully everybody stayed safe uh, on the roads. It looks like things are going to clear up uh, through the weekend, so that's good to hear. Um, uh, so let's let's get into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, first and foremost, uh, you know, we do love your feedback. We get a lot of good constructive criticism. Um, others just kind of silly and kind of some, sometimes hateful, but that's okay. Um, You're talking but, about what I send you. Yeah, that, just the stuff that I get from Derek. Um, but we do, we do want to know what you want to talk about. We want to know what our listeners are interested in. If you have any ideas for the show, ideas for topics, or ideas even for guests, uh, we'd love to hear about it from you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at RealBFill, at RealBFill, and you can find Derek uh, at Cohen at TPPF, Cohen at TPPF. So, all right, on today's show, we're going to talk about, we're going to go in-depth on an issue that is uh, fairly controversial, fairly provocative, which is uh, this new legislation, new proposal um, in the state capital, or in the capital in Texas. Uh, banning so banning minors from using social media. Um, obviously, a very controversial topic. We'll get into the ins and outs of, of that issue later in the show. Uh, for top topics, we are going to talk about the electrical grid. We're going to talk about what happened this week, uh, whether that was good or bad. There obviously were some some issues, some localized issues as they call it, but we'll talk about that because the grid is very much an important issue to, to Texans. Um, and then it feels like we're talking about it every single week, but you know the school choice, parental choice, parental empowerment fight is really heating, starting to heat up. Uh, the governor uh, started a, a statewide tour of 10 or 12 cities that he's going to be going to uh, to promote the issue of parent empowerment. And so, uh, you know, and the folks who oppose these issues are starting to get more active. So we'll talk about that fight going forward. Um, and before that, we are super excited to announce that uh, this show is going to be the first one where we, ha- where we have a guest on our show, our very, very first guest uh, on the, the, the Right Idea uh, is going to be uh, former Congresswoman Myra Flores is with us here today. So we're super excited to hear from her. We're just going to talk about all the issues. We're going to talk about uh, everything going on in Texas and around the country and just let her go. She's she's absolutely fantastic. Can't wait to hear from her. But first, of course, the reason you're all here is to hear from Derek and his Ledgeland update. Derek, what's going on up at the Capitol? Well, to be honest with you, not a whole lot. You mentioned the weather we had this week and that really closed down a lot of uh, what was scheduled to happen. We had a uh, the Senate Finance Committee did kick off on Monday. Uh, and then just with, uh, you know, out of an abundance of caution, which turned out to be validated, um, yeah, canceled the, the rest of the week up until today where we're going to hear, um, the rest of the article one, the general government, uh, section of the budget, uh, article two, which is healthcare, which as you can imagine is a fairly large part of our budget mm-hmm. has been kicked to the 21st. Okay. So, so starting next week though, I think we're still on schedule for, uh, article three. So what are the big issues then that you think that they're going to be talking about today at the, at the, uh, committee hearing? Uh, it could be. I mean, it's going to be all over the place. I know the office of the governor. Um, so any sort of administrative work that uh, Governor Abbott's doing and anything that's coming out of the office will be uh, will be discussed. And the office of the governor is actually a pretty large office, even when it comes to handling both state revenue and federal pass through revenue. Mm-hmm. You know, just for example, the office is criminal justice division deals a lot with, say, uh, monies given from the federal government to support policing through the burn uh, grant program or whatever the case might be. And so they do actually have a lot in 
funding some of the policy decisions that are made. And so I think you're going to see a lot of discussion on there. And obviously, you're going to probably, much like you're going to in several of the other articles, notably four and five, you're going to be hearing about border enforcement, things like that as well. We're going to have the the governor's state of the state is going to be coming up soon. Presumably, we'll be hearing um, about what he thinks his emergency items are. Are you hearing anything at the Capitol or any rumors or conjecture or speculation about uh, about emergency items and what we might be getting to deal with immediately um, between now and, and in the next, you know, forty-five days or so. Absolutely, I've heard a, I've heard a whole lot, but none I'd want to, <laughs> none I'd want to put my name on uh, uh, publicly. But just things, uh, all all over the place. Um, and Copy you know, tax still a big one, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you, uh, I do want to point out that you know, just because you know something is declared or not declared an emergency item, does not necessarily mean that earnest discussions can't start happening. Now, obviously, there's constitutional prohibitions on what can happen in terms of legislation absent an emergency proclamation. But that being said, is you know the ball can all obviously start rolling. We're already talking about uh, issues that, uh, you know, important to the budget uh, mm-hmm. starting last week. So I'm starting this week, I mean. So I, I do think that, you know, it's not a huge time impediment or it's not going to be a huge uh, coming out of the gate strong um, time-wise issue if he were to declare X, Y, or Z an emergency item. But what it does do is it basically puts a stamp of approval like this is important to the leadership of the state. Any issues, you know, flying under the radar right now that you think are going to uh, pop during the during the legislature? Um, I'm thinking of, you know, uh, there's, there's always talk about property tax and, mm-hmm. and education, obviously the budget and those kinds yeah. of things. Um, but health care, I mean, like you said, I mean, it's like half our budget and yet you don't really see the media covering much about it. You don't really see um, a, a lot of uh, bills necessarily being promoted or not, mm-hmm. um, but you've got, you know, health care, criminal justice, you know, there's a lot of the, uh, um, you know, even energy. I mean, some of those issues, I mean, like ESG is a huge issue mm-hmm. uh, here in Texas. We addressed some of that uh, last session. Uh, we'll be dressed again. Was there anything flying under the radar that you think is ultimately going to be more of a, uh, be more talked about in the, in the coming months? Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to say flown under the radar, especially when you're as steeped with it as we are. You know, it's like because we're—I guess—we're under the radar, just uh, <laughs> just as a place of uh, a place of being. But I do think you hit something on on healthcare because usually about this time of year we'll start hearing rumors like, okay, well, you know, here comes the you know the nth time we're going to try to uh, expand Medicaid. And as you and I well know, you know, expanding Medicaid doesn't necessarily mean you know better delivery of care or, or, or medical services. But we're actually seeing—we're not seeing that really this session. Mm-hmm. So I think. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist or that a bill hasn't been filed because that has happened. Um, But what we're seeing is the earnest discussions on the people that are in that population. What are we doing to better serve them? You know, Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, getting rid of Medicaid, which obviously isn't an option or expanding Medicaid, which isn't politically viable. They're saying these population on Medicaid, we're acknowledging um, that they are a needy population. They have a different need set than, you know, the general population sometimes. What are we doing to make sure that they are fully served by the system that we have? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, you know, Speaker Phelan deserves to be uh, praised for his leadership on this. Starting last session, his Healthy Texas, uh, Healthy Families uh, initiative uh, was very successful. Uh, a lot of collaboration, not only with, you know, David Balot uh, from our team, but folks, you know, folks from across the aisle. You know, this wasn't a a, a partisan push, Um but you saw the speaker's team really designate, this is what we want to lead on. And mm-hmm. some really good ideas came out of that. And I, I don't want to put words in, in Speaker Phelan's mouth, but I think that we're going, 
was the orientation I've seen so far. I think we're going to see another successful reiteration of that. It's very encouraging that that conservatives are taking the issue of, of health care seriously. It's a it's a top issue. We always see it. Um, people are very concerned about obviously the affordability, um, but also access to uh, access to care. And and conservatives have kind of ceded that to to the left um, over the last few decades. So mm-hmm. I think Texas is really showing, as you mentioned uh, last session, really showing that conservatives can be a, a real leader on the on the health care issue. One of the things that I would bring up that I'm pretty excited about, which I haven't seen any coverage of, but we've heard um, that there's a lot of energy behind it. Frankly, there's bipartisan energy behind government transparency mm. and starting to to change some of the rules, particularly at the local level, uh, for the type uh, and kind of data that the public can get access to. Um, and, and not just the kind of, of materials, but the way in which they access it. So, you know, making more data public. So, for example, if, you know, if the city of Austin spends $100 million on something, there needs to be an accounting for where that money went, um, you know, how it was delivered and all of that, but also getting those reports in a way that's searchable and sortable so that people can actually go in and, and understand where the money went, um, you know, and, and, and essentially, you know, increase the level of accountability and transparency into a government. Not the sexiest issue, but of course, when you ask the... Well, the, speak for yourself. I find it quite sexy. <laughs> um, but, 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 but when you ask people about it, they're very concerned about government transparency. Mm. Um, and frankly, it's, it's linked directly to whether or not people trust that the government is acting on their behalf, whether or not people trust that the government is acting in their interest. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to see there's going to be, a, I think there's going to be a package mm-hmm. of legislation on government transparency. And so I'm kind of, kind of in a nerdy way, kind of excited about that. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think more sunlight is never, you know, never a bad thing. And if you generally look, you know, there are, you know, almost near infinite number of ways that local governments or governments in general at whatever level can can get around and obfuscate, you know, matters of transparency. You know, we're not talking necessarily about, you know, stuff that needs to, you know, be stored in a skiff or next to a Corvette or anything like that. <laughs> but we do have we do have this issue where, you know, if you ask, you know, City A, what was your budget on taxpayer funded lobbying? Like, well, you know, that depends. We can look up the records, but we can run these records off for you at 25 cents a copy. Mm. And it's about, you know, 800,000 pages. And so, you know, you just cut us a check for that and we'll get you that information. It, which in and of itself is vexatious and, and onerous. Just There's also a lot of stalling tactics where they don't get back to you if they don't think they have the answer and they never they never respond to you. So yeah. some things we can change about that. Yes. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's your Ledgeland update. Um, we're very, very excited, of course, that this is our first episode that we're going to have our very, very first guest. Um, and through the magic of TV, we're going to pause very, very quickly. Uh, and when we come back after after this message, we will, um, we will have uh, Congresswoman Myra Flores with us and we'll get her opinions on all things Texas and and issues around the country. We'll be right back. Texas is the most consequential state. And when Texas leads, America wins. But it isn't good enough to be pretty good. Texas has to be the best. And that starts with Texas policy. The bottom line is that Texas is freer. It's safer and it's more prosperous because of policies that have been designed, advocated, and implemented by TPPF. TPPF is the foundry. The foundry that forges the ideas and public policy shaping the future of Texas, the nation, and indeed the world. And we know that when we succeed in turning these ideas into public policy, that Texas will be saved for another generation. And we know that when we save Texas, we save America. New name, same spirit. We'll see you in 2023 at the Texas Policy Summit. 
All right, and welcome back to The Right Idea uh, at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I am super excited uh, to announce that we have our first guest, our very first in-studio guest, uh, is the wonderful former Congresswoman Myra Flores. Thank you for joining the show. I'm happy to be here. All right. Yes, I, I want to get right into it. I just want to jump into it because, um, you know, I love your take on things. I obviously follow all your social media and your Twitter, and you get <laughs> thousands and thousands of likes within several minutes of, of tweeting out, so I see it all the time. Um, you know, let's just go right into it with the border crisis. You live in McAllen. You're right there, you know, right there at the border. You live in a border community. You know, bef- before we get into all the problems with the, <laughs> the current president and all of that, can you just kind of take us through, you know, what it's like living in that community and just give us kind of a behind the scenes of, you know, when you're going around to the grocery stores and getting from place to place and all of that, you know, how, how much do you see the crisis spilling over the border? Well, I live in McAllen, a beautiful city, honestly, and um, overall, I feel safe. And, and the reason I feel safe is because of our amazing law enforcement, of our amazing Border Patrol agents that do a tremendous job to make us feel safe in South Texas. So a lot of people in South Texas are not really seeing what's actually really happening hmm. because of the amazing work that our Border Patrol agents are doing. But it's really taking a toll on them and on the family. Mm-hmm. We've lost too many friends in the, in the past uh, few months. I've been in three funerals already. Mm. So this is uh, very hard on my husband, who's a Border Patrol agent, who's been a Border Patrol agent for 14, 15 years now. And it's uh, it's heavy on me and on our family. I've never been worried about his life. I took his safety for granted. Mm. I really did. And not a day goes by that I pray for his safety, that I pray for my family as well that is in Border Patrol. I have uncles and cousins as well uh, serving our country. So it's a it's very difficult. And I know that it's not just difficult on me, it's very difficult on all Border Patrol families right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I ask the Biden administration to secure our borders. This isn't political. This shouldn't be about Democrat or Republican. This is the right thing to do, not only for our Border Patrol agents, but for the American people and also for our immigrants. Mm-hmm. We don't, we shouldn't have immigrants going coming into the United States illegally, where they have to go through so much trauma, where they have to go through rape, abuse, and face death. Mm-hmm. Many of them have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to criminal organizations. Let's focus on legal immigration. If we care about immigrants, let's improve the legal process so we can encourage people to come here to the United States, to come here and accomplish the American dream, just like I did. Mm-hmm. What are you hearing from local leaders? I mean, uh, a lot of times we don't get to uh, hear from the folks you know who are having who are responsible for, like you said, the the safety and security of folks uh, down there in those communities until they're on Fox News or until they say something that the media finally covers. But I imagine that there's a lot more communication that's that's done on a on a local basis, on a regular basis. You know, how are how are local leaders responding to to the issues and the challenges that you're facing there at the border? Well, we have an amazing mayor. Villalobos in McAllen. He's done a tremendous job in, in, in McAllen, um, but that's not the case in every city mm. in, in South Texas. You know, Bronzeville um, is it, not that blessed. And we have a serious problem in Bronzeville right now. You see uh, immigrants being released all over the city, um, and it's heartbreaking to see because you're seeing children. 
seeing women um, that are just being released um, in the city. They have nowhere to go, um, asking for for money, asking for for food um, to help them with transportation. Um, and it's something that w shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. And we're setting them up for failure because how how are they going to provide for themselves and their children mm -hmm. in a in a country that they don't know? This is why it's so important for us to secure the borders. Um, and and it's very different. Bronzeville and McAllen, very different. Really? But it really has to do um, because of the, the leadership at the local level. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of piggyback on that with, you know, one of the things that we see that's somewhat controversial, uh, well, depending on who you ask, is, is the process of, you know, uh, of busing migrants. Um, you know, obviously it's been called by some of the more... Um, a double-digit IQ'd part of the commentariat as uh, human trafficking, which obviously doesn't meet legal muster. But it's also been, you know, called by both conservatives and uh, liberals as something that kind of, you know, wallpapers over an issue. And, and you know, I, I think that, you know, a, a good, honest look at the uh, practice is simply, you know, these border communities can't sustain this level of uh, of public support for this this influx that they have. So, you know, a cynical assessment could be that it's spreading the pain around at least. What's your take on that general policy? Well, you're right. We can't do it all alone. We need help in South Texas. Mm -hmm. And it's time for New York and all these other uh, countries. Um, I'm sorry, every other states like California, you know, LA to also be held accountable. They're, they have been encouraging illegal immigration. Mm -hmm. So now help us in South Texas by taking care of these migrants. This it, isn't just a South Texas problem. Mm -hmm. And these migrants, by the way, uh, agree to be bused to these cities. Mm -hmm. They that was their destination. They wanted to go to these cities. They were not forced to go. So it's, al it's almost like that, you know, so long as there's no sweat equity coming from these sanctuary cities, the New Yorks, the Los Angeleses, the, you know, San Francisco's, as long as there was no skin in the game, they were fine preening about the issue. But now that they actually have to be partners in, in addressing the problem, it seems like they're left a little Correct. wanting. Correct. They need to see what we have been dealing for years. Mm -hmm. And I know that they have a homeless issue, you know, in their own cities, but we also have our own problems as well that we deal with every day. And our, our border cities are hurting tremendously. They're using their resources, and we don't have a lot of resources because we are small cities already. Imagine if we have um, a certain situation where we need to have those funds for the people. Mm -hmm of South Texas. And because of this humanitarian crisis, we will no longer have those funds available. So it's so important for us to be prepared. We've had many storms, many flood issues in South Texas, and it's important that we are prepared just in case something like this ever happened. My home was flooded twice. That I was blessed to have insurance, but not everybody has flood insurance. So our, our cities, uh, South Texas needs to be prepared for things like this whenever they happen. But because of this humanitarian crisis, we have been using our own funds mm -hmm. to cover the, the cost of this crisis. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a South Texas problem. This is a United States of America.
problem. So to get to the nerdy part of, of what, what we all talk about in public policy, so then let's get to the solutions. And I know that you've written on this um, in a number of different ways, and you're out there advocating for, for policies both at the federal and then things that the state can do as well. Can you just take us through a couple things that, that you know, if you could wave a magic wand uh, mm-hmm. and change and actually get a, you know, a leader in the White House that was committed to this issue, uh, what would you like to see changed in terms of either legislative reform or executive action? Well, you know, I believe that we have laws already in place, to be honest with you. Um, We just need to enforce a loss. And we need a commander-in-chief that enforces the laws that we have in place already, that Congress put in place. Mm -hmm. And now Congress is criticizing our Border Patrol agents Mm -hmm. for enforcing the laws that they put in place. Prior to this administration, we had safe borders. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll never have a fully 100% secure border. Mm -hmm. Of course not. But we will not have this humanitarian crisis. Mm -hmm. We won't have the amount of fentanyl coming in into our country. Um, I believe that prior to this administration, we had policies that were working. The Remain in Mexico Mm -hmm. policy was working. And I believe that uh, Mexico has a huge responsibility as well mm-hmm. and should be held accountable as well. And no one really talks about that, but they should be securing their own borders. Mm-hmm. The Mexican people are not okay with this. Mm-hmm. I know that for a fact because my family lives in, in Tamaulipas mm-hmm. and they're not okay with this crisis. Mm-hmm. They see what's happening and they're, they're looking at themselves, what about us? What about our needs? Mm-hmm. They're taking care of them while they're waiting to cross into United States and they're feeding them for breakfast, for lunch and and dinner while they ha- they see a child selling chicles for their for their breakfast, for their lunch and dinner. What about the homeless? What about the needs that Mexico has itself? So the people of Mexico do not support this humanitarian crisis. I think you, I think you uh, hit on a really, really important point. The couple of times that, that we've taken uh, trips down there to meet with Border Patrol and to go and, and view the border, there is a tremendous amount of, of cross-border economic activity going mm-hmm. on with people who live in Mexico coming over to, to, to work legally in the United States. There's all of that. W- with, with the crisis that's going on, they're having to crack down on that, so it's harder for people to get across the border Absolutely. Uh, and so they're they're angry too because they've done it the right way they've got you know they've they've gotten the documentation so that they can work here and 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 live in mexico and but but now you know there's a, there's a huge wait or there's a huge you know, pause or delay for them to to get over here so they're frustrated as well Absolutely. as i'm sure so that's a really really good point maybe there's some public pressure that we could that that you know could be created uh from that kind of thing to even push we need you know, to put mexican pressure officials on mexico Absolutely. As well. I want to get to a couple other issues uh, while we have you here. This is fantastic. We could really go into the border mm-hmm. and just talk all day, but there's so many different facets to it and so many things that you've weighed in on uh, that we could get to. But um, how do you, I, I kind of want to get to 30,000 foot level again. Uh, you know, you sp- obviously spent time in Congress. You know, you're looking now at, at a house that's now run by the Republicans. Um, you know, what's your take on kind of how the agenda is shaping up? Um, obviously, there was kind of a foot fault uh, there at the beginning and a kind of a pushback. And one of our you know favorite congressman Chip Roy was in, was involved in all of that. Um, so, but but now that we're past that, we have a speaker. They're trying to you know enact an agenda uh, for the American people. What do you make of how all that's shaping up and and um, you know what Republicans are doing you know to to show a different face uh, or, or see show an alternative to how Washington could be run? Well, the American people are are watching, 
and they will hold the Republican Party accountable. If they ran on border security, <laughs> they need to secure a border. They need to put in a policy that does just that. And I'm very proud of our speaker and the work that, that he's doing, um, but it's important that we uh, put in place um, policies that will secure the border, but also impeach Mayorkas. We ran on that. Amen. <laughs> so the American people is waiting, um, and we will hold all of them accountable, Republicans and, and Democrats. So it's so important that, you know, that they um, that they get it done. Mm -hmm. We deserve it. Um, we're going through a very difficult time, um, not just in South Texas, but throughout the country. Um, and all we're asking is for them to to make their promises uh, mm -hmm. true. So the border obviously is a big issue. Derek, what other issues? I mean, inflation, energy, like, I mean, you know, Republicans are in charge now. They, especially when you're in the House, you, you mm. run the agenda. It's not like the Senate where you have to get consensus for everything to move forward, right? You, right. you, you, can, you can literally push your agenda. Border obviously is going to be a big one, particularly for Texas. What other issues do you think if she, they should be pushing at the, the national level? Well, I honestly think that, you know, we need to have serious and sober discussions on, you know, various elements of foreign policy. Now, you know, we've been in this this malaise, you know, going all the way back to Iraq where we've, you know, ran under or we we're operating under authorizations of use of military force. And once in a while, you'll see a, you know, a libertarian type coming through and saying, you know, this is not the constitutional order or this is not how it's um, supposed to go. I think that with what's going on in Ukraine, a lot people, a lot more people are taking a serious look at that, even though we are not, uh, you know, at least directly involved in kinetic activity. But I would be interested from your perspective, what do you think the opportunities, foreign policy specific, um, the opportunities for overlap uh, might be, and to be honest with you, the opportunities for differentiation might be because, you know, I'd like to say, you know, differentiation with this current administration, but I, I can't really tell what their foreign policy is. Yeah, me either. I mean, look what's happening with China. Mm -hmm. Look what's happening with this balloon. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so. <laughs> okay, so the real, so now we're getting to the real issue. Should we shoot down the Chinese <laughs> balloon or not? Myra Flores. <laughs> I say yes. If it would be here in Texas, it would have been done already. <laughs> you know, they've got guns in uh, in Montana. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, but that's a really good point, especially because, you know, that's part of what Biden ran on was, you know, was getting, you know, he spent, you know, five decades or whatever on the Foreign Relations Committee, he was chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. That yeah, it might be a more of an indictment of the institution than of the individual. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing about it right yeah. it's uh, i mean it's it's funny but it, at the same time it's it's serious yeah. it's serious that this is happening right what are we going to do about it we well we used to be we used to be at a place you know where we would all agree that you know people would wear their red shirt or their blue shirt and they would they would act accordingly but then you know the saying that uh, you know political differences ended at the water's edge you know those days are long gone mm -hmm. i would say and I, and i think that you know it weakens us as a country because at the end of the day, we're all Americans. And I think that this division uh, amongst us does weaken us. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, China, Russia's dream for us to be divided. Mm -hmm. And Washington wants us to stop talking to each other. Mm -hmm. We need to come back and sit down in the table, have a respectful conversation and focus on the things that we agree on. Because at the end of the day, we're all Americans. And, and I want to believe that we all want what's best for our country. 
Yeah, and you know, maybe ironically enough, it's usually when divided government when we have to find those things, those commonalities, yeah. in order to get anything passed through the legislature to even get to the president's desk. That's right. Um, all right, so one more issue before we get to our top topics. Uh, I want to get your. I mean, we we probably you know, probably sick of hearing about it. I'm sure for our listeners on the show, but obviously parent empowerment and mm-hmm. and you know changing you know more accountability within our school systems um, is going to be the number one issue. We now have the governor is out and is you know has start launched a statewide tour where he's going to be touting uh, parent empowerment reforms and this idea that he keeps um, uh, saying over and over again that parents should be in charge of their kids' education. Talk a little bit about that and the, and the hopes and the opportunities for a place like Texas uh, to finally have you know real parent empowerment and real school choice. I'm really excited. Um, I believe that no zip code should detect, dictate you know our, our children's future. And by us giving parents that choice, it's going to be improve the lives of many children, especially in areas where um, they don't have that level of education that they deserve to have. Um, Public schools have worked for my children, I'll be honest, but that doesn't mean that it works for everyone. And I stand with those parents um, that it doesn't work. And I think that it's, it's just the right thing to do. You know, they're our children. We should have the control of our children's education. They're our children. We should supposed to be raising them with our values. And I see a lot of indoctrination in our schools. And we need to hold them accountable. And I think competition is good, not just for schools, for everyone. And I think it's going, going to make our public schools better because we don't want to get rid of public schools. We want to make them better. And, you know, the debate right now seems to have devolved to... You know, folks defending the proposals that will actually get, you know, children in the educational environment that will help them the best. But the other side seems to be really focusing on the institution and the sanctity of the institution. And I'm I'm pro public education. I mean, I've never been, um, you know, never mixed, mixed words about that. But again, it's defending the institution for the institution's sake, not the outcomes, not making sure it's accessible, not making sure to take their word equitable, but just rather that the institution itself is left unassailed. That doesn't seem to be focusing on who's supposed to be benefiting from this public institution, and that being the children. And this debate is going to rage. I think um, you know it's only going to get um, more heated um, as both the, the right and the left are continuing to, to promote their particular positions on this. We'll see um, how the House and the Senate deal with it uh, once we you know we get past the state of the state and once the legislation gets um, uh, submitted. And we're going to really have this this huge debate all, all year. Um, I want to hit a couple of top topics real quick. I'm just kind of rapid fire talk about this. You know, we had um, the um, we had uh, the the big ice storm, I guess, this week, um, and everybody kept their fingers crossed um, that the that the grid was going to hold up. And it did. The grid uh, obviously, you know, did hold up. There were there were some localized outages. I think in the city of Austin, um, of all places, can't figure out you know how to keep the lights on. Um, but a lot of it was done. A lot of that was at least uh, everybody agrees that the outages were likely as a result of you know ice developing on power lines and mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. Uh, but overall, um, you know, what I want to point out is you know the, thankfully for fossil fuels, um, the lights stayed on. And of course, the left has a very anti-fossil fuel agenda. 
uh, and when you look at, you know, when, when you need power the most, the renewables and those kinds of things just don't show up because the wind doesn't blow and because the, the wind turbines are frozen. Um, you know, what do you make of the, uh, Myra, what do you make of the, the left's anti-energy, you know, push on this? I mean, what would have, what would have happened if we were, you know, trying to, de- you know, if our grid depended on, say, 50% of it, you know, depended on things like renewables, and obviously we would have a, a major catastrophe. You know, as you debate with folks on this on this energy issue, like, what do you make of, of this big push to get away from the reliable energy that, that keeps the lights on? Well, I mean, look at California. Hmm. I mean, they're a great example that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Half the people in Texas would have been without electricity if we would follow their lead. I'm very proud of our governor and the improvements he's made, and and it showed during this storm that we have improved and we've done better. And um, I, I look at California and I tell people, look, look at California. If you if you support that type of agenda, look at their situation. They're telling people not to connect their cars, electric cars. Yeah. Everybody's got to buy electric cars, but then don't use them. But don't use them. You know, don't charge them. We don't have enough. Um, So I'm very proud of the of the work that our governor has done. And it, it showed. Um, the, is there going to be, uh, Derek, do you think in the, in the legislature, do you think there's going to be more push to subsidize more renewable energy or to get away from using fossil fuels? I think it's going to be, there's going to be part, partly that, and I think there's also going to be a pivot because I think they realize, when I say they, I mean people that, you know, the people that spent the last couple of years rooting for the grid to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're going to see an actual pivot away to, well, the state is still responsible for hardening the infrastructure as it exists. So, you know, I, you know, we can debate about what the proper role of government is, but whether the, uh, you know, state government should go through and start burying lines uh, in South Austin is not necessarily, I think, a, a debate for adults to be having. I do think I do think that smart municipal management should be having these discussions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But whether the state should be on the hook for, you know, securing the right of ways, buried lines or whatever the case might be, I think that's that's not an appropriate question to be asking state government. So one other issue is kind of fun. Well, fun, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of an uh, odd word for this. But it turns out, you know, there was a big controversy the last couple of weeks about whether or not the Biden administration was going to try and institute a ban on gas stoves. Right. There was this there's this big issue that came out and there was a couple of reports, I think, from the Wall Street Journal and others. And of course, there was a major pushback. And then yeah. the media, of course, flipped then and said, oh, you know, there was never going to be a gas stove. Republicans ban. pounce. Republicans are pouncing. Conservatives are, you know, making a big deal out of this. Conservative backlash. <laughs> Well, of course, Fox News did did their you know due diligence, and of course they found the memos, they found the receipts. Uh, in a memo dated la- last October, uh, Richard Trumka, who President Biden appointed to serve on this uh, Product Safety Commission, wrote to a fellow commissioner that there was sufficient evidence for the agency to move forward with a notice of proposed rulemaking to ban gas stoves in the near future. Mm-hmm. And so here's this commission that you know the the president has asked them to look at you know ways to save the environment and so on and so forth. And of course, here's one of the officials writing to another one saying we absolutely need to to ban gas stoves. So, I, you know, comment on the gas stove ban if if you want to, <laughs> but also just this, you know, again, this goes back to the trust in government, and right. you know, they they've got the documents. I mean, they know that these memos are out there, and yet they walk right out on stage and lie about it. What do you make of all that? 
I mean, it's just nonsense. I mean, Washington has lost common sense. Everyone has gas stoves. I mean, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. You know, Democrats have gas stoves, Republicans, like <laughs> Americans. And, Democrats for gas stoves. Yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> this makes no sense. But I'm glad that they they felt the backlash. Mm-hmm. And this is a result when we actually come together on something we agree on. And the American people <laughs> said, hey, I'm a Democrat, but... You're crazy. You're not taking away my gas stove. So this is a great example of of, uh, of us coming together on something we agree on. Add yes and that by saying, uh, well, how are we supposed to uh, boil the water as we had to in the city of Austin if yeah. we have uh, if we have electric stoves and the power's out? Yeah. No. Really good point. And, you know, and I feel I feel some sympathy to the president's uh, pr- press secretary who has to walk out there knowing, you know, the the, the fresh attacks that they're going to get from the press, knowing that these this you know this documentation. But does there. she actually answer anything? No, no. no she's going to circle back and do all of that. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. mean, shouldn't have appointed a you know a Trumpka then you know who that apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, guy knows about as much about administrative law as his dad know about running a profitable business. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're gonna we're gonna jump to our final segment of the show. Uh, I want to get into this because this is a controversial and provocative issue for a number of reasons. Um, you know, we all know social media is ubiquitous. I mean, everybody's on social media. We just did a, a poll asking about people's media habits, and I think something like 60 to 70% of all Texans use social media at least once a day. A lot of percentage of that, 30 or 40%, use it multiple times a day. So social media is all around us. Um, I think it's now number two in terms of how uh, Texans get their news. Number one is local TV, but number two is social media. They say that's how they get a lot of their news. But there are a lot of problems with social media, particularly the influence that it has on minors. Uh, TVPF has published some research into this, and, and unfortunately, it's a bit of a parade of horribles uh, in terms of uh, you know kids t- uh, getting peer pressured on social media to take these these incredible risks. Some kids are dying, some kids are hurting themselves, doing these TikTok challenges, and so on and so forth. I'd invite you to read that research that we have uh, out there. But one Texas state rep, uh, Jared Patterson, has Bill Number Eight Ninety Six, which would uh, which would a child between the ages of 13 and 18 would not be allowed to use a social media platform. The bill said social media platforms would require users to have an account in order to utilize that platform and that the platform would verify that the account is being held by a person of at least 18 years of age. So this is, in effect, a a way to prohibit minors from using social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and and so forth. Um, You know, a lot of conservatives have a lot of libertarian sensibilities. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it may not necessarily sit right. You know, you can make the comparison to cigarettes or alcohol or driving. And there's a lot of restrictions for minors. Um, does this fall into that category for you, Myra? Or what's your what's your take on a on a, a essentially a ban for social media for minors? Well, personally, my children don't have social media. My my son is already going to be 18 years old. Um, but that's a, a decision I made as a parent. Mm-hmm. So I do think that, you know, we should respect parents and they know what's best for for their children but but I do agree that you know no child should be having social media they should be living their best life mm-hmm. focusing on school playing outside but at the same time you know I don't want to cross that line and be telling parents uh, what's best for their children I don't think that the government 
or should be telling parents what to do. It's all about parents' choice, right? Mm-hmm. Does it does it help parents though to to help them, you know, know I mean again, I would think from a I guess from the comms perspective, um, you know, it helps send the message that this isn't something that's for minors. I mean, yes, of course we have kids under 21 who access alcohol. We have kids under 18 who who can find a way to get cigarettes and so on. But at least from a community perspective, the fact that there's a law against this at least helps parents make the case to their kids that this is something that's not for you. Do you still think that, you know, that crosses the line into limiting what a parent can and can't do, uh, or at least their choices that they make, or they're limiting their ability to be a good parent? Does it still cross that line for you? Well, I, I think it's important that parents are informed how uh, damaging social media can be for for their child um, so they could make that decision. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, um, there's just there's just so much garbage on social media, <laughs> you know, and uh, there's so much bullying on social mm-hmm. media. But, you know. Some adults shouldn't even have social media. <laughs> <laughs> should ban it for adults. <laughs> they should ban it for adults, you know? Um, I see so much hate, so much division mm-hmm. on social media um, that hurts us all. And I don't think a, a child should be able to, to have that platform, especially if they're going through difficult times, you mm-hmm. know, or mental issues. And then they're on social media mm-hmm. getting all this hate uh, from adults a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um so absolutely, I, I think that it's important that parents are informed how hurtful this can be for for their children's mental health as well. Absolutely. Um, but like I said, I'm a little hesitant, you know, when it comes to government telling parents what to do and what's best for for their child. So Derek, you know, the the, the sexy debate on this one is what we've been talking about here, which is should should government be able to do this? One question I have is, can government do this? I mean, from a legal perspective or even just a logistical perspective, um, you know, what have we looked at at, at TPPF and other organizations? You know, how, how how would we even go about doing this? And is it even something that would that would be possible? Yeah, and I mean, short answer, yes, we can definitely restrict. Uh, or set the guidelines for access uh, to such products in our state, um, specifically when it comes to, you know, special populations, special populations being minors. Um, and, and you know, I, I, I kind of find myself, you know, you know I, I, I definitely agree with, with everything I, with I just heard, but I also can agree with the, the push in general. Because you remember we had this, you know, at the beginning of the social media revolution, you know, back when you were watching Star Search. Um, but back in those days, you know, it was like, this is going to bring the world together. We're going to have this utopian vision uh, of human interaction. What it turned out to be is just this magnification of the worst parts of humanity. Mm-hmm. We're going to have, uh, you know, Patriot 1776 and never Trump 420 just sitting here arguing back and forth. And, you know, this, you know, behind the veil of uh, behind the veil of secrecy. And it just it, it, it's it's not productive to discourse, not productive to uh, discussion. Now, there's been obviously been a whole lot made about, you know, Russian interference or, or things like that on, on social media, which obviously turned out to be uh, a bit of a hoax unto itself. But the thing is, it's like if we're talking about something that's supposed to, you know, come alongside and lift up um, 
you know, society and the discourse and everything. It, we were just not getting that mm-hmm. uh, from social media. Now, is this the solution or is the solution as written a way to go? Well, th- that's that's for the legislature to decide. You know, this is why we send representatives to Austin so that they can have these these tough debates. And let's be honest, this one is a tough debate because you mentioned the libertarian sympathies that many members of the Republican caucus even have on this. Mm-hmm. But I think that at the very least, at the very least, uh, it is a debate absolutely worth having. So I'll break a little bit of news. Uh, TPPF was just in the field with a new poll. We got our results back yesterday. We asked this question about the social media ban for minors, and we got a very surprising result. 88% of Texans support the social media ban for minors. One of the more interesting things, if you really dig down into, we, we uh, divided it by uh, by generation, so by age. Uh, over 90% of millennials, over 90% of Gen Z support social media ban for minors. These are the these are the folks who are you know who grew up with social media their entire life. It's not a new thing to them like like most of us. Um, they grew up with it. They use it the most than more than anybody else does, and yet they're supportive of of this ban for social media for for minors. What do you how do you what do you take away from that? I mean, you have you have you know kids at that at that at, you know right about to be that age. Yeah. You know. Does that make sense? Does that does that trigger something? You're like, yeah, they they hate it, or you know, they they're you know they they don't want to be addicted to it either. Or what yeah. like what do you make of that? Well, you know, my children are not on on social media, right? right, right. right? Um, and they um they they probably honestly wouldn't care about about social media. <laughs> I keep them very busy, but that's that's awesome to hear. Mm-hmm. And I think that we do need to hear um you know uh, Texans, and if that's what they think it's best and i agree let's do it mm-hmm. if the majority agree mm-hmm. you know i had no idea about this poll i think it's amazing it's totally that's, took us by surprise yeah well. that's it's great to hear amazing. that's great yeah. to hear because we do want to do what the american people want at the end of the day um the people that are serving at the local and the state level mm-hmm. are to serve texans and if that's what texans want then we should be able to do it. Interestingly, the lowest level of support, and it was still like, you know, 85%, but the lowest level of support came from 35 to 45, ages 35 to 45, which we sort of figure, you know, that level of parents, they're communicating with their kids on social media as well, or they're following their kids' activities in school or whatever through social media. So maybe that's why um, they would would oppose it. And I think parents are starting to see how addicting um social media can be Mm -hmm. they're realizing that it's hurting their children you know i've seen um, a lot of videos where they take away the phone from their child and their child becomes angry yeah Mm -hmm. and wants to hurt the parent because they take they they were their phone was taken away or their playstation was taken away and that's when they realize okay this has gone out of hand. Um, so I think parents on both sides are realizing that it's hurting our children. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad to hear that most Texans support getting rid of social media for, for minors. Derek, uh, with that news, I mean, with that new information that, you know, obviously TVPF and others are going to be putting out there, do you think that changes anything about what ha- what's going to happen in the legislature? And maybe, you know, uh, uh, Jared Patterson, Representative Patterson's bill is not so controversial anymore. Yeah, do I, do I think that the information is going to change things? Largely, no. Not not because I think that it's not useful information, but I think that it's, you know, much as we've discussed here, it's a, it's a place that people already, you know, from whatever their station is in life or their life situation is, already recognize, you know, some of the pitfalls with it. And, and again, does that mean this particular bill is going to be the end-all, be-all? You know, very, very rarely does a bill make it all the way from filing to... Um, filing to 
getting the governor's signature without any sort of, of tweak here and there. But at the very least, I think the fact, and you know, Representative Patterson needs to be praised for this, is he, you know, with finger on the pulse, realized like this is a serious issue. Mm-hmm. And and the funny thing is, it's you know, we say like, oh well, this must be some sort of you know right wing crusade. And the very same comments that we've heard were actually made by uh, Representative Mary Gonzalez, who, who's a Democrat from El Paso, and so she, you know, rightly identifies some of the the pitfalls that we have in this area as well. And so I'm really looking forward to the debate. Um, I do think that uh, there's going to be some interesting lobby action uh, on this because, uh, you know, obviously there are uh, dollars and cents at play. But again, the fact that this is the opening salvo, I think, should give us all, you know, give us all, uh, it should hearten us all that the debate is going to be had in good faith and publicly. Well, uh, very well said. You know, I think, Myra, it's so awesome having you here. It's so awesome to have you here as our as our very first guest. We're very excited about that. I would want to do a whole show just on parenting advice from Myra Flores because I think, I mean, you've got three kids that are not on social media. Four. Me- four kids that are not on social media. I have four kids, two That's... boys and, and two girls. And yeah, my oldest is going to be 18 years old. And, and you're keeping them busy and, and they're involved in busy. sports and whatnot. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. We'll do a whole show on parenting advice with Myra Flores. We'll love a, it. A whole new one. So um, as always, thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate the, our listeners and our viewers out there. Um, until next time, as we always like to close with Sam Houston's quote, uh, do good and suffer the consequences. We'll see you next time.